Talk a little bit about the end of the Yerna. But it's more to give the framework of understanding how one looks at uh, events which happen from two points of view. One point of view I want to look at it is from the Alachic perspective, uh, which people always ask the question, what they're meant to do, should they be trying to run away? And, uh, was it, are they right to be afraid? Whatever the way the question is going to get asked. And then from the Hashkafa perspective, when you see HaKadosh Baruch doing things in the world, what's the right way to look at it from the point of, it's not just uh, this country or this terrorist organization that did something, but rather Hashem is manipulating events. And inside that, what's the way to look at it? So the first point, and that is, halakhically, why do we consider something to be a war in the sense of it's considered a Makum Sakana? And if something is a Makum Sakana, then of course the person is not meant to put themselves in the Makum Sakana. The person is able to, they meant to avoid a Makum Sakana because, as the Gemara says, that in a time of Sakana, even a person who might not deserve to be punished in other circumstances, but might they end up finding themselves punished in a Makum Sakana. And that's why a person should always try and avoid that. And the Gemara says, even if a person is saved, the person needs a Pishosim because it needs uh, extra Pishosim to be protected in a time when when more protection is necessary. So what's called the Makum Sakana? So the person where you speak about this in detail, there are a few points of agreement, a few points of disagreement. Let's start with what's considered uh, basic, and that is, for something to be considered halakhically Makum Sakana, it means that there's a threat right now. A future potential thing which hasn't happened, might, yes, might not materialize, doesn't make something a Makum Sakana now. A Makum Sakana is that right now there's a, a real Sakana, and it's a specific Sakana. In other words, we don't say that every street is a Makum Sakana because there are car accidents in the world, even though people are dying every day in car accidents. There has to be a specific Sakana here, which is going to call this a Makum Sakana, not just that there's a random Sakana which statistically is harming people. And therefore, what we're looking to say is something about Makum Sakana means is there a specific Sakana here right now which would make this place more dangerous than other places that there are. Okay, so if you're looking at it from that perspective, so then the halakhic answer to that is going to be no, it's not a Makum Sakana, let me explain. And that is as much as there was a terrible tragedy which happened, and over 900 people got killed, and 100, over 100 people were taken captive, and I don't know how many thousands were injured. But Lemaisa, and for sure it's the biggest uh, terror attack that Eretz Israel's ever had, but you must remember that's all happened already. Uh, what's happened has happened. It's not happening anymore. In other words, uh, at this stage, we're now, even though now we're finding out about, we have found out about the scope of the tragedy which took place, it doesn't mean it's ongoing. There isn't, at this stage, Hamas isn't presenting any real threat to anybody. On the contrary, they're, they're the ones who are now being attacked and being destroyed. And therefore, if, you, if we have to ask, are we now in danger because of what happened three days ago? The answer is no. They aren't in a position to, to do anything to Hamas here in Yerushalayim. And therefore, that's not considered a sakana. The fact that they can arbitrarily send rockets uh, which could send off signs in Yishalayim. Once again, this has been asked many times because this isn't the first one that said rockets, and that is random rockets don't make a whole country in a Makum Sakana. Um, it's, it's like the same thing as that they're random car accidents. It doesn't make a specific place 
an area which is dangerous. And therefore, if someone would ask the question right now, is Israel, and specifically let's talk about Yerushalayim, which is where we are, is this called the Makam Sakana? And the answer is no. There's no real Sakana we have right now. In other words, we don't know of any enemy who's trying to attack Yerushalayim right now or is in the ability to do that. We aren't under the direct threat at the moment. And then, of course, we're diving for the captives that they should be redeemed. We're diving for the injured that they should become better. We're diving for the soldiers are fighting. But they're in the line of fire they should be protected. But uh, for, for those of us who are asking the question here in Yerushalayim, it's not real Sakana. And if also for all those people who so they can't sleep, they're too nervous, or them, their wives, their children, never it's going to be. Okay, but no, it's, it's understood that after hearing about a tragedy, people get scared. But Mitzvah Hashem, you have to be scared for themselves. At this stage, not. There's no real threat that we're aware of right now. Now, could there be some random Arab who pulls out a knife? Well, that could always be, and that could be anywhere in the world. Once again, that's not a defined Sakana we know about, and we have to have a way to protect ourselves from. So that's the first point. The first point is, you don't have to be concerned at this stage to stay in Yerushalayim. There's not a real threat facing us here in Yerushalayim. And uh, we do need to feel for and daven for those people who are in Sakana. Definitely captives are in Sakana. Definitely those people who are fighting on the front line in Sakana. But does that mean that we have to change things here for ourselves you know, in Yerushalayim? No. Of course, Tvela, of course, adding the Mulim is going to help. It will help Tayyashul collectively. But like I said, that's not a reason to, for us to be afraid. But, that's the first point. The what? That we look at the present. Yeah, that's what the person said. When they say the second, what's the second now? Now, the second question is, like I said, so if you look at it that way, everything keep calm, there's nothing to worry about. There is a second option also. And that is, well, maybe things will escalate. Maybe things will escalate. Uh, maybe more countries will get involved in the conflict. Maybe it will become a bigger battle. And if that's the case, then potentially Yerushalayim could be in the Shah Sakana. So, that's possibly, potentially true. Um, once again, is there any immediate knowledge of that happening? Uh, I don't claim to have all the information that the State of Israel has, but what, what, what we're aware of, there's no immediate uh, information that's happening. But could it happen? It could happen. Do we have to worry now about a, a, a future eventuality as it comes to judging up all this for Sakana or not? So when it comes, this is not the first time Israel's been in battle. The way the person who looked at it is we look at the situation right now, or at least something which is very likely to happen in the future. Or something which we something which is a suffix which you don't know about. It's a suffix based on the idea. There isn't information which can help us. And there's not a chai person to do something right now. That's why I said before, that something has already happened. Yeah, he's worried maybe something has happened to him. Over here we don't know something. It might happen in the future. So we have no, we have no reason to stream one more than the other way. So okay, so in the meantime, we have to double, obviously. But uh, that's not a mechai uh, in halachic terms for us to make decisions now. Now there's another point also. And that is what we talk about more the hashkafa of the hashkafa of <coughs> looking at a battle. If there's a siren going off and there's a missile, is that mocking for Connor at that moment? The hand, if a person hears a siren, should they go into a, yeah. into a safer place? Um, so it's like this. 
The answer is yes. The answer is yes. That's the question is what's called the safer place. In other words, I don't think you need to go into a bomb shelter. A bomb shelter were built for attacks for planes dropping bombs, which are much more powerful than the rockets descending from Gaza. And uh, anyone who's got hit by a rocket was either by a direct hit or by a direct shrapnel. And therefore, if a person is away from is inside and is away from open windows, which means that they're, they're really considered their protective. I don't think you have to run downstairs to a bomb shelter. The rockets haven't caused damage to people, unless you're on the exposed wall of a building, whatever it is. The rockets haven't caused damage like, more deeply than that. I think they're powerful enough. Do you have a bias if your wife wants you to? To help her down to the Miklat? To go to the Miklat. How are the rosters? Go to the Miklat, whether you want to go there. How are the rosters you don't have to? If she wants to go to the Miklat, she's going to the Miklat. Is that replaced to go to the Miklat if she wants you to? Do I want you to go to McLeod? Wherever you are, you should go to McLeod. Okay. So why do we not trust the Homefront Security? What? Why do we not trust, why do we not trust Picador who says to go to the McLeod? They really don't say that. They, they say to go to an inside room, which is no exposed windows, not a top floor. Okay, there's nowhere that has it. That's not true. Depends. Okay, the hallway, the staircase, wherever it is. Yeah. No, it no, depends on which way you're talking. The hallway in your apartment? Yeah. Not no, top floor, not exposed windows. That's what I just said. The, the rockets don't cause damage more than that. We could have a final time. Let's go down the stairway, one floor down. One floor down? You're not on the top floor, you're not on the exposed stairway, you're not on the exposed wall. Most areas have windows. No, it's the only place you would have gone that has windows. Okay, so that's what I'm saying. You have to find a place like that. In the inside of this basement, which is probably okay. No, so the inside of the basement, which is probably okay. You have windows and windows. It's too far from the If you're inside there, you, I think you're okay. But. So that's uh, every Rosh Hashiva always in the, when the previous time the signs was off, it said if you're staying in there, you're Torah protected. That's sort of Shaft to Bashaito and that's sort of Ryan Hayes to Bashaito. And if a person's saying that, okay, you just look at them to rely. This isn't different to the same rockets that Hamas sent seven years ago or twelve years ago, whatever else it was that they sent them. If a person's like this scared, you know what I'm If you want to, if you, if you feel it, you need to go to a safer place. And that's it. It doesn't need a bomb shelter. There are times that we're here that there's going to be a bomb shelter, meaning walking in the street in a rug, then the siren could go off, which means, and it has. So but, realistically, but then it again, go off. It's, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, so they'll go off the street, go into the next building, and walk down to the downstairs. How can we be in a place that, realistically speaking, will be Makam Sakana at a certain time in the next day? It's the same way I would tell you, if you cross the road, you see a car speeding towards you, you get out of the road. But you don't, you don't, don't live here because it might be car speeding. Gotcha. Right. Now, the, the, the next point, I should go for points. And that is, when a, so people ask the next question, well, is, is uh, something which starts maybe as a small localized battle, is it something which could escalate? Could more countries get involved? Could other terror organizations get involved? No, I mean, that's where it's going to lead to. So that's the point of Ashkaf I wanted to talk about. And the Chazal, that's the Midrash Rabbah in Pashas Lechlecha and the Battle of the Four Kings that they came to fight. And Batsim, the four kings fought the five kings that had absolutely nothing to do with Avraham Avinu. It was a battle between two different armies and they really shouldn't have been involved in it at all. But nevertheless, on that, the Chazal bring a memra. Amr Abedazah Baravinu. Imra Isa Malchus Shemizkar Zub Zub Tzapeh Deragam Shomashiach. If you see countries fighting each other, so then Sapei, wait for Mashiach to come. Now, what's, what, what does Chazal mean? Why do you, if countries are fighting each other, is that an indicating factor that Mashiach could come? So the answer is like this, and this is a, you said, which we have to bear in mind. And that is, we know that 
the Mashiach will come as, as the end, end point of a war. The war of Gog and Magog. We know it's going to happen. And we know that the war of Gog and Magog will end with the coming of Mashiach. And it's not Chazal's or Drash's, it's in the first in the Psukim. It's a Psukim in Haftariya and Sukkot that it says that Pekavatz is called Aon and Yishtayim is Rukhama. And there will be a war in Yerushalayim between all the countries of the world. And then eventually Hashem will come and will destroy all those guys. So there is going to be a war which will end in being going to Now, when a war begins, so then it might be very far from us and it might be very not seemingly unrelated, but war has the nature of spreading. And therefore, something which could involve more armies or more countries and it could develop. It doesn't have to. Every war which has been in the world so far has ended without it being going to Magog. And it's very clearly. Gogamagog Gog hasn't happened yet because none of the three factors needed for Gogamagog have come about, which we'll go through in a minute. But uh, every war which begins potentially could develop. And therefore, you'll find in the times of the Akhronim, even the Rishonim, discussing various battles that they lived through, that there was an expectation maybe this will become Gogamagog. And that's the right Ashkafa because that's what the Chazal tell us. If you see a war beginning, maybe this will end the Gogamagog. We never know. But uh, it doesn't have to be. And until now, wars have ended, and it wasn't Gogamagog. Even wars like the Second World War, which fulfilled some of the conditions of Gog and Magog, but the Maasai said, and the Mashiach didn't come at the time, so obviously it wasn't. Does that mean that people at the time who thought this was going to be were wrong? No, it could have been. And uh, the expectation was that you know, they were hoping it would be. But the Maasai said, that's okay. In the midst of Shapiro is to wait for something, you wait for that to happen. Now, so what are the conditions necessary for a war to be considered the war of Gog and Magog? And uh, what would, we, what would we expect to see in that direction? So, like I said, publicly two years ago, a year and a half, whenever it was, in Russia attacked Ukraine. And the Lord of the Shiva said, they're putting on the Yantov cross because Mashiach is coming. So I said, you're in the valley. And people asked me, I said, it's a chaval to be a Yantov cross for so long until Mashiach comes. I'll be really old by the time we're going to greet Mashiach in there. Because it had none of the factors of Gog and Magog. What do we know about the factors of a war to Gog and Magog? Number one, it has to revolve around Jerusalem. In all three places that the Tanakh talks about Gog and Magog, it's always the wars in Yerushalayim. In Yerushalayim, we're around Yerushalayim. And it's the first in the Pesachim. Uh, both in the Novi Vichari and in Yechezkel and the reference to Yishai, it's always around Yerushalayim. So a war which has no connection to Israel and it doesn't come near Yerushalayim definitely isn't Gog and Magog. Again, wars can spread and wars can develop. But if a war never gets near Yerushalayim, it's not Gog and Magog. The second point is, there has to be a war which involves the Kibbats, the Eskola Amim. Which means that it's not a small war, and it's not a war just between one or two countries, it's Kola Amim. That's also clear in the Pasuk. And uh, the two Amim, the two, the, the, there will be two, so to speak, alliances within the world of armies who are going to come to fight. The one is called Gog, and the one is called Magog. And uh, they, they will come and fight in Yerushalayim, like the Pasuk says clearly. And who are these two armies that are going to come and fight? So that's not the Pasuk, but the Gemara tells us. The Gemara says that the war of Gog and Magog is going to be a war between Paras and Madai. A war between Paras and Madai. Who is Paras? I'm not, not Paras and Romy. I'm sorry. Paras and is on one side and Romy is the other side. Who is considered Romy? Who is considered Paras? So it's unanimous in the Rishonim that Romy in the Gemara always refers to Christianity. And therefore all the Christian countries are going to be Romy. It's already in Chazal. And they're going to be a factor. And the, the, the Romy who destroyed the Beis Amikdash and the Romy who are the ones who with ceremony Israel and the, the Romy in, who, in whose goddess we are in, that's the one factor of the world. That's Romy. The, so that would be the Christian countries. The other army is Paras. Who's Paras? That's not as clear because Paras was referring to the Persian Empire, which doesn't exist anymore. 
but who, who are the spiritual, so to speak, continuation of Paras, which is the second force that is going to fight. So there's three opinions in the Akronim. Are they arguing with each other? Are they all right? We don't know. Battles over the three opinions are. The Vilnagon says Paras is Russia. Yes. Russia. He says Mefarash. What he called the Eastern Church that he held as a Kaykh of Paras. So the Vilnagon held that Paras, which means the other force which is going to fight is Russia. Now, have the Russia and the country, Western countries been at war for a long time? Yes, but never around Yerushalayim. So therefore, it's never yet gotten to the stage of Gog and Magog. The second option is the Malbim. It says that Paras is the place where the Persian Empire was, regardless of uh, who the inhabitants of the place are they called Paras, in which case Paras would be Iran, because Iran is the place where Paras originally was, that's the country that's where Persia is, is, was, whatever you're going to call it. And the third opinion, I saw in Akronim, which was brought just as an explanation, even though there's no, they didn't explain why they said that, but it's interesting, and that is they say Paras is China. Now, is it one against the other one, or all three together? We don't know. We'll have to see. But whatever it's going to be, if we're going to see uh, a war between the forces of Romy, which we say today is America and Europe, whatever it is, on the one side against Russia, Iran, China, whichever one, all of them, whatever's going to be on the other side, then we have the lineup of the army of Romy against Paris, which is, uh, which is what the war is going to be. And as a second condition, it needs to be a war between Paris and Rami. Centered in Yerushalayim. Centered in Yerushalayim. Now, once you've gotten to what's first, so now we'll see many references in Chazal to these things. For example, Bilam Zavu in the Torah. V'tzi b'yad kitim. V'ina Asher v'ina Eber. The Targum explains is that the Kitim, who he calls Rami, are going to send ships, Tzi, or ships, to the countries of Asher to fight. And if you're going to talk about that, then you're going to say the Rome is going to fight with ships. They're going to send ships down to Eretzishol to fight the countries of Asher. So it's not the first time that America sent ships to the Middle East. But again, is it something which could be a predictor of something which will develop into the war Gog Magog? It could do. Two more points. I'm going to talk about one or two points I want to talk about. Now, two more points. The first one is what happens to us during Gog and Magog. Are the Kaisal a part of the battle, or are we just the battleground, so to speak, between other countries? That's Bichlal, not clear in Chazal. It's not clear in Chazal, and in fact, the Chazal will seem to go in both directions. Those Chazal will seem to say that Kaisal will just be, so to speak, the, the ones who caught in the in middle of a battle between world powers, which which we're not a part of, and some they said, no, it will be around, it will be around us. In other words, the battle between Gog and Magog isn't about, Eklai Israel isn't the big player here. The question is, is it just over Yerushalayim where we happen to be, or is it one side supporting us, one side fighting us? But the man said, uh, therefore we are a part of the battle. That's not clear in Chazal. Just like it's not clear in Chazal, and I'm going to say more than that, it's actually an argument with Furish and the Gemara, who's going to win that battle? Who's going to win? Between Paris and Rami, who's going to win? And the Gemara is not like it's about it. It's one said Rome is going to win, one said Paris is going to win. And they each explain why they think whether that, that side is going to win. But that doesn't really make a difference to us because at the end stage of the battle, is Hashem is going to destroy both of them. Like the Pasuk says. And then the Pasuk says, the Pasuk even says how Hashem is going to destroy them. It's the Pasuk in Zechariah. And the Gemara says, This is the way Hashem is going to destroy all those, all those countries who come to fight Yerushalayim. And the Navi tells us, which means people will disintegrate. 
It's not like they'll be struck and fall and die. They will, while they're still standing, they'll melt. Now, I don't know how the Mephoshim explained that, what, exactly what Makkah that is. But today we know that's what nuclear war does. People disintegrate. They don't die. They, they melt from the heat or whatever it's going to be, which is exactly what the Bosak said a long time ago. So we have the factors of what, who the combatants need to be, where the war needs to be, where the war needs to be, what the outcome of the war when will be Gog Magog is going to be, and how long will it last? How long will the war with Gog Magog last? So we have different, again, different uh, statements from Fursh and Chazal. There's one Gemara that says it will last nine months, because of course that Chevda Yeleide Yavayolot will be like the experience of a pregnancy and a birth, which is nine months. And there's also Chazals which say that Hashem will take his Nakama from Adam in three hours. So, and we talk about that. But, uh, there's a kind of Shalish Shalish, so the three hours Hashem will take his Nakama from Adam. Again, it doesn't have to be a contradiction. It doesn't have to be a contradiction. Sorry? We're getting there. Uh, uh, the, 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 it doesn't have to be a contradiction. It could be the battle itself takes time. The active phase of punishment or the active state of destruction can take much shorter than that. Now, one last point, which isn't that much in the desire, but the tour brings us down, and as a Kabbalah from the Goanian from Rav Haigon, and that is he brings down that the war of Gogol Magog will fall in circus. He says that's why we read the Haftarah of Gogol Magog and circus, which has nothing to do with the Torah reading, but there's why we read the Haftarah of Gogol Magog and circus, it's worth in the Torah, you can look at that. He says because of a Kabbalah from the Goanian, brought down from Rav Haigon, which came from before that, that the war of Gogol Magog will fall in circus. Now, the war of Gogol Magog will fall in circus, and we talk about that. A lot of what you say in the Hashanahs, we ask Hashem to save us, is directed around the war of Gogol Magog. Some things we're asking Hashanah from Hashem should the rain and all that kind of stuff, but a lot of the Hashanahs, Hashem should save us, is save us from enemies. And we even say, but the last Hashanah, Hashanah, shows. You should save us, Hashem, for those three hours where you're going to destroy Adam. We don't get caught up in that. So uh, the reason why the Haftarahs of Sukkot and the Hashanahs of Sukkot revolve around the future is because that's when it's going to begin. That's when it's going to begin. That's my first in. That's my first in the Torah. Even. Um, now, the one more point. And uh, does that mean that what began is Zagumagoyk? It's too soon to tell. Or we meant to think it could be. That's in Bosh Chazal. It could potentially get there. We see factors. We can Mashiach. It's in Israel. We have the possible, the, the potential combatants lined up who could get involved and could escalate and it could become. Will it? There's no way to know. But there's no way to know, and this brings me to the last point. There's no way to know because it hasn't yet been, in, in our, there isn't a clear direction yet, and this we always see in battles. I just we spoke, we spoke about this when we spoke about the Holocaust in the Shkavshim last year, but the same thing here, and that is when battles always go through stages. Stage, and there's like a lull, and another stage. And a lull, and another stage. Until wherever it's going to get to. And the Hashem does it for a reason. Hashem does it for a reason because at each stage, he's waiting for HaKadosh Baruch going to respond before he brings the next stage. So, for example, even the Holocaust, we look at it in hindsight as being an unspeakable tragedy of how many millions of Jews got killed. It didn't start like that. When the Nazis originally invaded Poland and other countries in 1939, they put the Jews into ghettos, they wouldn't let them out. It was not, definitely not pleasant in the ghettos. They had no food and they had no medicine and everything else. But no one was trying to kill them wholesale. It was only two years later, in 1941, that they came to what they called the final solution, which means they decided now they're going to start building gas chambers and execution you know, and concentration camps and destroying everybody. There was a two-year gap. There was a two-year gap when Kaisal was suffering. They weren't in battle, but it wasn't yet. 
uh, official the policy that they, they, they decided they're going to kill everybody, and it's clear Hashem was waiting. It was a punishment that Christ was already being subjected to here enough for them to determine that we don't need to get to stage two or stage three, or whatever it's going to be or not. And Christ obviously didn't do what Hashem wanted them to do. So it's brought to the next stage. And now we're holding in the same stage. Like we said, at this stage, when we're talking about a war now between Israel and Hamas, there isn't really an active battle that Israel's facing at the moment. On the contrary, they're the ones fighting. So there's a law. There's a law. Is it going to end here? Is it going to escalate? Is Hezbollah going to get involved? Is Iran going to get involved? Are the, what they call themselves, from Afghanistan, the Khalid Taliban, who claim that they're going to march on Yerushalayim as well, are they going to get involved, even though it sounds ridiculous? Is China getting involved, Russia, America? Who knows? These things are all available, and the, the factors are all here on the, t- on the table. But what's going to happen next, and how it's going to develop, there's a gap. And that's really because we're waiting to see how we respond. And that's what's going to determine what happens next. And therefore, if we use the opportunity to use Ben Azmanin to sit and learn, to put more effort into Atahilim, into Atstok, into Atahira, to Mchazik, more Narimana, these are the factors which make a difference. And it's going to determine what the next step is going to be. Because there are different ways that even the war of Gog and Magog could play out. It could be that it will play out in a way where we're going to suffer a lot, and it could be a way where we're going to see miracles the whole way through. And it brings me to the last point. And that is, people talk, or never talk about Gog and Magog, people get scared about the idea. Because war is a scary thing. And the, the point we have to bear in mind is war is a scary thing when it's a war which is coming as a punishment. When it's a war which is run what Bible is called the Mashkis. The Mashkis means the destructive force Hashem unleashes on the world. Because when the mashkis is out, and when Hashem releases the mashkis, and then people just start killing each other randomly, Sadiqim died too. That's what we've seen in most wars until now, because it was a war of punishment, and it's war when the mashkis is let loose, and then everybody gets killed. The war of Gog and Magog is not like that, and it's clear in the Gemara, in a few places, that a person can be Nitzah, and whoever whoever's written in Hashem's book, it's says, be safe, will be saved from Gog and Magog. It's not, it's not, it's not random. It's not random that any people die. It's very, very uh, calculated. That's why in a few places the Gemara says what a person can do to protect themselves from Gog and Magog. It says being Makhon Shemir Shabbos. It says Bitochen. It says Torah. It says Chesed. A few things. Mayas Ami Natsal from Gog and Magog because it's not something which is a random war and people die randomly, whatever it is. It's after those people who decided, Hashem decides to save, He saves. And if that's the case, so then even if that's what at some stage the world's going to face, even if that's what potentially we're looking towards now, that doesn't have to scare us, because then we have the, now we've been given a waiting period to be put in the category of those people who are going to be saved. You must remember something. The war of Gog is the prelude to Mashiach, whenever it's going to be. That's clear. It's the prelude to Mashiach, which means the people who are going to get saved are the people who deserve Mashiach. And that's the case. The point of the war is to make us deserving of Mashiach. And therefore, Zafka Rabbi Tachan, and Zafka has strength and commitment to Torah and to davening, whatever it is, Chesed, that's going to make us roy, and then there's no reason for us to get killed. Then we're the ones Hashem's waiting to save. If most of Torah aren't in that category, unfortunately, then it could be. Like Chazal said, 90% of Torah might not get to Mashiach. It doesn't have to be, it could be. But uh, we could be the 10. The, the 10% who the Tzadikim are the ones who will get there. It's not a random 10%. It's those who are Tzadikim who will deserve it. And therefore, the idea that this might be Gog and Magog is other, a reason to be more confident, not a reason to be more scared.
if it is Gog and Magog, then we have much more to rely on because then we, we're, it's not a war of, of punishment on the contrary. It's pre- preparation for Mashiach. And we, the Bnei Torah, are the ones who listen to Hashem and do every talk and we're the ones who are the ones who are going to be saved. Maybe we're in the 19th century.